Good evening. I want to greet you one in the precious name of Jesus this evening. Welcome your attention this evening as we look into God's Word. We could say that maybe this is aimed a little bit at youth, but there's a lot to be gained here for all of us as we want to look at the subject of godly character this evening. What kind of people do you like to be with? What kind of people are you attracted to? And that may differ somewhat with our personality. It's pretty obvious as we, those of us that have went through courtship and married someone, the different personalities that different people are married to, you just, um, you know, those people, they fit together, and but you look at it and you think, boy, if you'd, the wrong people got matched up there, it certainly wouldn't have worked. And probably not. That's why God leads people together that are in his will. But when you're looking at other people and you're thinking about people you'd like to be with, do you look for a pleasing personality? And then the question comes, do I portray a pleasing personality to others? So what is your definition of a nice personality? And that, see, that, that can get a bit sticky as we discuss that because... My idea of a nice personality may not be the somebody else's idea of it. And I'm thankful for that because it helps. There's, there's large groups of people out there that are friends with people that I would not necessarily get close to, but they need friends too. And, you know, that's the way friends work. So it's different for different people as you come up with a definition of a nice personality. A, Dictionary definition of personality is the visible aspect of one's character as it impresses others. The visible aspect of one's character as it impresses others. And, and be careful with the idea or the word personality. That's the outward show. And we as human beings have this ability or we think we do, to display a very pleasing personality for short bursts of time. Now, if we have character to back it up, we can do it for long periods of time, or, I mean, that's just the way we are, okay? But if we do not have character to back up that personality, we can only do it for short periods of time. Now, first impressions are lasting. They stick around for a while at least. But if our personality falls on its face after a while, so to speak, people sometimes forget that first impression. Because they find out what your character is really like, and they're not impressed anymore. And they wonder why they ever were. And it's part of our memory and loss of memory thing that works in us that Helps us with that. 
All of us like to be with people who have a nice personality. Now, what that definition is for sure differs from one to the other, as we said. But yeah, we like to be with somebody that has a nice personality. And sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on that in our life and we, we try to figure out, you know, who do, who, who, uh, who do I want to be friends with? This person's nice, that person's nice, I'm going to be friends with this group of people. Okay? Instead, we should be focusing more on the idea of, do I have a personality that gets along well with other people? Do I have a, a good personality? Okay? Here's another question for you. Do you display different personalities based on how long you plan to be with a certain person? If you know that you're only going to meet people, okay, let's say that you went with Ryan and I on the CLE workshop team. And we're going to go into this community. We're going to be in Leon, Iowa today. We're only going to meet these people for a short time. So we put on our best suits and our best uh, looks and whatever and smiles and handshakes and whatever. And we wow the people in Leon, Iowa. And we get in the motorhome at night. And, uh, what we're really like comes out there. Okay. And then we go to the next place and we try to do it again. I always feel that the people at the end of the workshop tour probably get less than the people at the beginning. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying? When you, when you meet people, as, you, as people come into your life, do you treat them differently depending on how long you think you're going to be with them? That's wrong, but we sometimes think we can get away with it. And maybe you know you've got some real personality flaws, some real character flaws that you need to work on, but you, know, you never get around to it. And then you meet someone really nice, really, really nice, and you wish that your personality was different. Oh, if I just worked on that, maybe I can somehow fool them. Well, now is the time to work on it. I don't care how old you are. All of us. The character flaws that we, and certainly as we do an inward look at our own selves, if we're very honest with ourselves, and if we're not honest, we can always ask somebody else to be honest with us, and they will be. There are things inside of us that could stand some work, some polishing, some, some changing. We could do better in some area of our life. And the time to work on it is not once you meet somebody that you want to impress, that you know that this character flaw is going to hurt that impression. It's time to work on it now. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. Samuel was in the process of anointing a new king for Israel. And he's there with uh, Jesse and his sons there at Bethlehem. And Jesse's calling the roll and bringing the sons down the gauntlet in front of Samuel. And it says that it came to pass, in verse 6, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Before him. Before him. He was talking about God. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 
That was Samuel speaking. And he said, wow, here is one good-looking person. I don't know if Eliab did any... I think Eliab was probably part of the army. I don't know if he did a little sword play for him or anything like that. But Samuel was very impressed with this fellow. Just a chance encounter, or a, or a short encounter, I should say. That wasn't chance. But just a short encounter, and Samuel said, this is the guy. Ah, man, he'd make a great king. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Hmm. But we can't look on the heart. So how are we supposed to work this out if we're trying to find friends or trying to have friends that we, we want to have friends that are a good influence on us? So it must mean we need a close relationship with Jesus Christ so that he'll help us to know who will be a good influence on us in our life. You know, people do all sorts of things to look good. They want to appear attractive, I mean, especially as we think in our world today. How much effort and the money that is spent on trying to make yourself look more attractive. They'll do all sorts of things to accomplish this. Botox. Pumping stuff into, isn't that, am I saying that right? I, I um, said it wrong at home, and Laura Waldron, or a doctor, just about split a gut on the back bench. Um, but that's used for, you know, there's some people that actually use it for some health reasons and stuff, but most of the time it's just trying to change their looks. Pumping some sort of stuff in here and there and making things bigger, or I don't know. Cosmetically, is used to get rid of wrinkles, but it only lasts for a little while. Then it has to be given again. Oh my! And it's expensive, and it has possible side effects. But lots of people are trying it, using it, and they're sure they're making their personality <laughs> nicer by doing that. Oh my! How strange! And there's nothing wrong with having a nice appearance. Nothing wrong with that. I personally, you know, the pride issue comes in here. We have to be careful with that. Uh, but the idea of, of doing things to yourself to make yourself appear ugly, that doesn't seem quite, uh, it seems like there could be some pride in that too, or some, some issue that would be coming out. But God says there in 1 Samuel that I am more impressed with how a person looks on the inside than I am with his outward appearance. And some of us are, God has blessed us with better features, and I, that's still debatable. It depends on what other people like to look at as to, to how they, uh, they view things there. But God's saying, I, I look on the inside, and that is much more important to me. And the nice thing is, is that any of us can look great on the inside. That's a choice. I was born with my long nose. 
not too much I can do about it. The joke is, and you light it, if you want to make a Hartman nose six inches long, you fold it in half. So, you know, I, and we, we get along okay there. But are we willing to take Botox for the soul? To inject ourselves with loving gentleness, merciful patience, caring interest in others, unselfish kindness, and unity of the spirit. You know, and the side effects are all good. No bad side effects. Inject yourself with that. Get that on the inside, and it comes out. You know, and a person with Godly character, good character, and we're going we're going deeper here than personality now. The way you look on the outside is going to be overshadowed by the way you act from the inside. So we want to look tonight beyond just a person's personality. And we want to look into his character. And you can turn to the book of Philippians, to chapter 2. We want to look this evening at the character that God wants us to have. And I want to read something that I found that I was impressed with along this line. We're going to read it now, then we'll reread it, hopefully at the end of the sermon. The character that God wants you to have. God is more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. I'll read these. I'm going to do them twice right now. God is more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. And sometimes that really gets ticklish in our everyday life is that we whine, we complain because we're too hot, we're too cold. As the Dr. Seuss book, too twirly, too curly, too spotty, too dotty, you know, that sort of thing. Um, God isn't really concerned about our comfort at in relation to the fact of how much he's concerned about our character. I think God is concerned about our comfort also. But he would much rather, and, and God puts you through different things in life that are quite uncomfortable so that he can build a much better character in you. Okay, that's number one. Number two is God is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. He wants you to be a holy person. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. I want you to live lives that are set apart for God and that bring honor and glory to my name, God's name. And he's, he's saying, that's more important to me than just being happy all the time. Some people would teach and preach that God's main concern in our lives is our happiness. It's a health and wealth uh, religion type of uh, that type of idea, and that if you aren't experiencing those, you're just not experiencing the power of God in your life. 
God is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. Number three, God is more concerned with you as a person. God is more concerned with you as a person than he is with your possessions. Oh, we like to own things. We like to buy things and get things. and It's just so interesting what we can uh, come up with. But God is more concerned with you as a person, what kind of person you are, what kind of character you have, than he is with how many possessions you have. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 19. Paul here is talking to the Philippians. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion, in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh to death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I said him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. In this passage, we see a picture of two young men. Another place, Paul told Timothy, he says, don't let anybody despise your youth. As we said in the, in the children's lesson, we need to be careful that we are faithful in the small things, and then we be trusted in larger things. But don't let older people despise the fact that you're young. And for those of us that are older, uh, quit getting so concerned about what somebody older might think. It's okay to consider an opinion. For many years in our church, you might think this is strange here, but we had six adult Sunday school classes. Divided into women's and men's and then by age. You know, from married to 40 years old was one class, and from 40 to 60 was another class, and then from 60 to the graveyard was the last class. And about two years ago, we mixed it up. And it's still men's class and women's classes, but then we, we, uh, we just kind of numbered off, you know, and did that sort of thing. And oh my, did that really cause a stir with Sunday school teachers oh, I don't think I can teach with older people in that class. And we try to convince people to get over that. Don't let anyone despise your youth. But Paul here in this passage is saying, here is two young men that are prime examples of godly character. And they have put forth a lot of effort in their life to live for God and to be of service. Okay. So let's look at some of the things that we learn from this passage. Number one, 
A person with godly character will have compassion. God is looking for people who care about other people. And if you really think about your life, you will realize that relationships are the most valuable thing that you can have, you can own, or you can be part of. Maybe I should say it that way. We don't own our relationships. But we can make relationships and we can break them and do all sorts of things there. They're the most valuable things that we can obtain in this life. And so often we're chasing after material things, chasing after money, chasing after popularity, fame, uh, glory, that type of thing, when we should be showing compassion towards others and building that godly character in our life. Verses 20 and 21 bring that out. Paul says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He is. He said, Timotheus is... Timothy is very, very careful in caring about other people. And that's, for some of us, that comes very, very natural, or fairly so. For others of us, it doesn't come natural at all. And it may be partly the way we were raised. The, uh, there may be a, a lot of things, the environment we grew up in, uh, Maybe the community we grew up in, the way our parents were. There's all sorts of excuses that people can make. But the bottom line is, is that we can become that. We can have that compassion within our hearts for others. Not just for the underdog, but for anybody. Um, someone new is at church on a Sunday morning. What happens? Do they come and go and no one talks to them? It'd be hard to do that here. It's just, just hard to get out without somebody talking to you, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's good. Compassion. And, and through that we see uh, the love of God running. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith... So that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, that sounds like compassion, doesn't it? And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, if I really didn't have love to go with it. So when I am showing a compassionate spirit towards people, it needs to be backed up with genuine love in my heart. I can, again, I can try to have a personality of compassion, but it's not really going to last long unless it's backed up by love. And true compassion in my character. And we can be a success in many things in life. We can be very, a very successful person in many areas. But if you don't have love in your life, you're still a failure. Love for your fellow man. God is looking for people of compassion. <coughs> compassion is protecting the needs and rights of other people. Too often we're just in it for ourselves. We think of ourselves first, and we're not caring what other people need or want. I think of it as simple as, as being in town. Are we aware of the public around us? Are we courteous? Um, 
do I have to back clear across the aisle to look at something and block the whole aisle in a store? Or can I notice that, oh, somebody wants to get past me. I need to make sure that I uh, am moving out of the way. Just, You know, the Good Samaritan was a prime example of a person that had compassion. He didn't know that man laying in the ditch. Didn't know him. Never met him before. The way the story is told. And yet, he had compassion on him. Number two, consistency. God is looking for a person who puts character. Let me see here. Did I get ahead of my notes here? Nope. Yes, God is looking for a person who puts character before conformity. Who you are is more important than what you do. Now, who you are will affect what you do. But again, we can put on a good front for a while. But see, if we're consistent, we will consistently put on a good front. We will, and if that is our part of our godly character, then it's not going to be hard for us to be consistent. Because it's just part of us. But God is looking for people who are not afraid to stand out from the culture of the world around them and to be known as a separate holy people. One who is non-conformed to the world's standards. They stand up for godly standards. They are consistent in that week after week after week. Do we have a tendency to change with passing fads and fashions? Verse 22 here says, But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. And it's saying there, there is consistency here in Timothy's life. He has done this for years now. He's still a young man, but Paul had had enough experience with this young man. He says, I trust him because he's proven it over and over and over again. It's a habit with him. It's part of his character. He is consistent. And I... I see in this passage that Paul realized a godly character in Timothy, and he wasn't afraid to send him however many miles it was away. We would say a thousand miles away to another community, and he was sure that his consistency would just keep right on shining through there. He, he was sure of what Timothy's response would be to the situation there in Philippi. Consistency. A person who is half committed to the cause is not committed at all. Because when the going gets tough, then they're going to change. They're going to, to fall away from that. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 tells us that he that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. So we need people who have good, godly convictions. That's, that's part of being consistent, is, is having those convictions and adhering to those, sticking with those. Um, it's not hard to be consistent in our beliefs then because we have conviction about what we are doing. Number three is cooperation. It's going down to verse 25. And he starts talking about another person. 
Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Cooperation. Epaphroditus was listed, or the list that was given here of his character traits, Paul was using them to show them that this guy cooperates. He knows how to work together with a group or with another person in a specific here, but he's saying he'll come into your midst and he will work as a companion in labor. He'll work as a brother. He'll work as a fellow soldier. He'll look at the things that you are facing and he'll help you face them. He's willing to go through it with you, to get, uh, you know, the two of you together, or the, your group and, and Epaphroditus. They're going to, it's going to be a working relationship because there's cooperation here in this relationship. In this verse, you can see three things about the Christian life. It's about family. He says he, he works as a brother. You know, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and God is your Father, then that makes us brothers. Brother and sister, whatever, sisters. We're part of the family of God. Paul uses the word brother to describe the relationship between believers over 130 times in the New Testament. Now, last night we talked about a young man that wouldn't even recognize his brother. The older son in the prodigal son story. But here we see somebody that's willing to cooperate and work together with others and be called a brother. Okay, number two. Another thing we see about the Christian life is that it is a fellowship. We hold things in common. We share uh, we are a companion in labor. And so as the church works at different projects and things, uh, you know, reaching out programs of our, you know, going to the nursing home to sing, passing out tracts, uh, going to Chicago maybe for street meetings, those types of things, they're all good because they're an opportunity for us as people to to enter into being companions in labor. There's something about there's there's something good about doing it by yourself, but I think there's a real blessing in doing it together as a group. For those of us that are fearful, it gives us some uh, added courage and strength to to get out with others. But uh, I've just really in, in been encouraged and strengthened the the times that I have uh, been part of that type of a situation and and we have ongoing projects in our own communities as I said like nursing homes and things like that in our area we have a rescue mission that we go to once a month and and uh, three nursing homes and all it's it's a way of cooperating with each other for a good cause these things aren't necessary things that will make you a Christian you can't do these things and hope that it's going to get you into heaven. But because you are a Christian, you will work at fine-tuning and honing these godly character traits in your life. Third thing that we see about the Christian life from this verse is that it is a fight. When you become a Christian, you become an enemy of Satan. 
And to think that you would want to fight that enemy by yourself, that seems very strange to me. I don't want to fight that battle all by my lonesome. I'm glad that there are other fellow brothers and sisters that are praying for me, that are concerned about my spiritual life, that are willing to help me when I need help and uh, expect help from me when they need help as a fellow soldier. Paul says in Vision 6, put on the whole armor of God. You know, he's, he's talking about how that the enemy is our devil. Or the enemy is the devil. And he's, he's working there to turn us away from God and lead us in, the, in a wrong way. We need the armor of God if we are to uh, overcome and we need the help of other people. So do you treat fellow believers as family, as fellow soldiers, as ones you can have fellowship with? There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Number four, the fourth thing that we find here is commitment. God is looking for people who put commitment before comfort. We said earlier about character before comfort, but this is getting a little more um, into the inner workings of our life when we put commitment before our comfort. You know, when we've committed to do something and we, we say we will do this, or, and, and later on you find out that it's, it's going to uh, mess up your plans, you're going to miss something, you're going to, you know, what's our, what's our response to that? Do we quickly say, okay, I'm going to call them and say that I can't make it because um, I forgot we were having a family reunion and I'm going to have to go to that. And family reunions are important and that sort of thing. But sometimes I think we are too quick and too easy to just pass off our commitments and blow them off because just eh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, somebody will do it. Somebody will take care of it. Who is that person that doesn't then? God is looking for people who put commitment before comfort. In verses 26 through 30, Let's see, Paphrodias, it tells a, a little story in there about a man, and we really don't know what all happened. I wish I had a few more details to this story make it more interesting, I think, but it's enough to keep my interest, is the fact that he worked so hard and so long and was so intent on it that he nearly died. That's commitment. That's commitment. He risked his life for the cause of Christ. And God is looking for people, young people, middle-aged people, older people, that are willing to be committed. And I don't know how I would expect an, a young person to be committed if they don't see commitment in us older people. If we're not committed to being on time, if we're not committed to <clears throat> showing up when there's spiritual work to be done, how can we expect the young people to do that? It's still good if they do, but uh, it's, it's a much more of an uphill battle. The Christian life is costly, but it's well worth the effort, but it takes commitment. Number five, 
is courage. And you can see that all through this uh, passage about Epaphroditus, that he had courage. That, that's what helped to stay his commitment. God is looking for young people and for all of us to put service before our security. And that takes courage. Sometimes God says, you know, I want you to go over here and do this, and what well, doesn't pay very well. And that's why I really appreciate it when I see young people going into voluntary service because a lot of times there's some parents or relatives that are willing to help back that up. Not that they're going to get rich doing it. I don't think that should be the, uh, the goal of the relatives, but to make sure that uh, they're not just going to run dry halfway through this project. But that in voluntary service that we are willing to work for little or no pay for the good of other people. That takes courage. God is looking for people who put service before their security. And too often we get that backwards and we say, I want to make my life secure then I'll do the service thing. Okay? And that is so easy to fall in that rut because then the devil just says, um, you're not quite secure yet. It's going to take another $1,000 in your bank account or you know whatever it might be. And we just never quite get there. And all of a sudden we find out that we're old, older, and we haven't really done anything for Christ. And it doesn't have to be going to a <coughs> foreign country for two years. It can be. It's great. It can be short term. It can be as simple as just stopping in a busy time and going to street meetings somewhere. And being part of a group that goes just for a weekend. I mean, there's all sorts of opportunities out there. And the thing is, you might find out that you like it better and better as you do, that, do it and that it grows on you. I'm thinking of a boy back home. Uh, I just didn't really suspect he would do what he's doing right now. But, uh, oh, probably two years ago or something, he went over to Romania and helped work on a church for a week. I thought, good for him. You know, that's, that's good for him to get out and do something. But he really liked it. And then all of a sudden, oh, he's in Haiti for a week or so. And he liked that. And it's not like he's a super bright person that really, you know, has a lot to offer with brilliance and that sort of thing. He's just a good, steady worker. Right now he's headed to Guatemala. He's de uh, he may be back now, I'm not sure. He went down for a two-week trial period. But more than likely, he'll be going down, I think, for a two-year experience there. And I'm just so glad for him because he doesn't have any other responsibilities or concerns, things to weigh him down. He's not married. He just you know, doesn't have other responsibilities. And he's taking the opportunity and, and time to spend doing something for God. 
Now, he could stay home and work for his dad and make very good money. Oh, well, I guess he wasn't working for his dad when he wasn't home. He was working for somebody else. But in our community, the young men can make decent wages. But he chose to do something else. I'm glad for him that he's doing that. Today's value system says, do whatever it takes to take care of yourself. Watch out for your own security. And security becomes the goal of our life rather than service. Matthew 6 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. God is looking for people with courage that are willing to face the future with him, knowing that they are secure in God and in God's will. They are willing to stand up for the kingdom of God. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Totally committed to God. That's, that's godly character coming out. That total commitment, that courage, um, cooperation with others, the other things that we listed. Godly character. And if people are turned off by godly character, you really don't want them for your friends. They're not the kind of people you want to be running around with. Remember, God is more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. God is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. God is more concerned with you as a person than he is with your possessions. As we consider this evening the character that God wants us to have, where do we, how do we measure up? What kind of personality or what kind of character do you have? What kind of character do you want to have? What kind of character are you working on?